We all dream. Some of us dream more than others. Um, Some of us dream a lot of good stuff. Some of us dream a lot of bad stuff. It seemed like the only time Jennifer um, had dreams that she could remember was when she was pregnant. And some reason, I was always the one getting in trouble for it. I always did something. And I was getting lectured or beat up in the middle of the night for something that I didn't do. But it felt so real to her that she literally felt like these things happened. So we all dream. Some good, some bad dreams. So I was curious, so I did some research on the worst nightmares that people have. Let's see if you can relate to some of these. So here are some of the top ones that were mentioned. Um, Your teeth falling out. Like... Anybody have those when they were little? Like, I had, I had that dream that my teeth fell out. That's just weird, but it happened. Um, um, not being able to speak. Anybody have that? Uh, not being prepared for like a test or a presentation or an interview. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, here's a good one. Showing up without your clothes on. Thankfully, I've never had that one. Um, that would be like a nightmare for a, definitely a nightmare for a public speaker, right? Um, going bald. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they sought those people out. Like, you're bald, aren't you? You, you had a nightmare about that. Um, so, but here were the top four most frequent nightmares according to one study that I found. Number four was feeling lost. Number three was death. They died in their nightmare. Um, Number two, being chased. Anybody have a nightmare like where you're being chased? Like, yeah, okay. Um, Or what about this one? The number one nightmare that people claim to have is falling. Falling. Um, Someone once said that you know that if you hit the ground and you feel it in the morning, you know it was real. Usually that's just falling out of bed. not, um, Or if you had a sibling, they were kicking you out of bed, you know, something like that. But I want to take some time, though, to focus on the number four, which was the feeling of being lost. I think this is um, the closest to what I believe the majority of us struggle with. And I think it goes beyond just simply a dream. But I think a lot of people struggle with feeling lost. It's not just a nightmare we have. It's actually, I believe, a divine reality of sin in our lives. You see, we were created to be in community, intertwined in relationship with our Creator. But because of the fall of man and and sin entering the world, It placed a a vast, distant divide between humanity and God, to which Jesus Christ came to live on earth as one of us, to give his life on the cross, to, to be resurrected for our sin, to pay the price, the cost, the punishment for our sin, so that we might be able to have our sin forgiven 
You see, Jesus became the bridge in that divide between us and God. You see, the feeling of being lost, I think, is greater than just simply the words that we can say lost. Because I think there's this feeling of being lost, but there's also the feeling of being alone. The the feeling of being overlooked. uh, The feeling of being abandoned, of rejected. Uh, The feeling like your life is a continuous cycle that lacks meaning and purpose. A feeling that your life is on autopilot. You you go to bed or you get up from bed in in the morning. You you have your routine. You do it. You go to work. You come back home. You do what you typically do almost every night. And then you go to bed and you start it all over again. And you begin to wonder, is this all there is? A sense of feeling empty. You look around and and you have everything, yet you can't help but feel like there's something missing in your life. So, So why do we have these feelings? Why do people that we know, people that we care about, have these feelings of being lost even though they may be right in front of you? It's because of our brokenness. It's because of sin. Our disconnection from God, our Creator. You see, the deepest part of our being is what we refer to as our soul. I like what Dallas Willard and how he explains the soul. He says this, Samantha, if you put it on the screen, it says, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. It's that thing that feeds everything else. And if our soul is out of balance with our Creator, we struggle and feel lost. Because our soul longs for connection with our Creator. Even though we may live a life that's disconnected from God, we may live a life that dishonors God, our soul still longs for a connection with God. Now, it can be manipulated to, over time to not desire God. If you do evil things long enough, eventually evil overtakes us. Not saying that it's not possible at some point for that person to still come to have a relationship with Jesus. But it's more difficult to see Him. Have you ever had those feelings in your life? This feeling of you have everything in front of you. You don't understand why things don't make sense. Why you're struggling with the things you're struggling about. I know there have been times in my life where I've asked myself, why in the world am I not happy? I have have everything I could possibly need, everything I could possibly want, but yet I'm I'm not happy. You know, every time I come to that conclusion, I can then look at my life and say, oh, I've stopped doing 
reading my Bible. I've stopped doing my devotions. I've stopped being faithful to my relationship with Jesus. And I have allowed other things to fill what should be my relationship with Jesus. You see, because my soul longs to be connected to the Creator. The struggle is, the world has taught us to seek, to satisfy the longings and cravings of our soul with anecdotal solutions, self-centered desires, and materialistic manipulations. The world tells us, oh, you feel empty inside? You need to find something that brings you satisfaction. You should go find a hobby. You sh- oh, you-, you feel alone? Oh, you should go find a future spouse. You should get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or you-, you should, you know, it's the relationship that you're missing. But then you get in that relationship and you can't figure out why relationship after relationship after relationship end up ending because you messed it up somehow. Well, because it wasn't the relationship with another human being that you were needing, that you were longing for. Your soul was longing for a relationship with God and you were trying to fill it with other people, with other things. But those things, even when we have them, they don't fill that void that we desire to have in a relationship with God. So last week, we we took a quick, quick, quick look at the first six chapters of Nehemiah. We talked about how God's dreams are connected to your relationship with Him. That when you follow God's dreams, He will open doors you didn't see there before. You won't have all the answers to all the questions that you face. Following God's dreams requires you to have a plan. It also requires you to rely on other people. But when you seek to follow God's dreams, expect conflict, expect failure, and setbacks. When you look at the first six chapters of the book of Nehemiah, you will hopefully notice that Nehemiah's concern, his purpose, his dream are never self-serving. They're always focused on being used by God to fulfill the purpose that He's been called to for the people of Jerusalem with the ultimate purpose that God will be glorified. He always puts God's purpose before Himself. You see, you play a part in God's dreams but it's not really for you. And see, that is where the ultimate disconnect, I believe, happens. 1 Corinthians 12.7, Paul says this, when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and, and how they're given to each person. He says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For the common good. What he's saying is that the gifts that you receive 
from the Holy Spirit aren't for you. They're to be used for the common good of the body of Christ, the common good of the community to which you belong. The things that we have, the gifts that we have are not for us as much as they are for other people. Before we can ever understand our role in God's dreams for us, we have to realize that it's not about us. I believe that one of the root problems within the church can be found in our struggle with the reality that it's not about us. What do you mean? What I'm trying to say is far too many of us live into what God has called us to out of our sinful nature instead of being rooted in the grace, love, and mercy of God. In our human nature, we want the church to be about us, what we get out of it, the benefits of belonging to the church provides for our families. To some degree, we're not totally wrong to think that way because there are times within the church that it is for you. But what trips us up is that the vast majority of the time, it's for someone else. But when we, when we pick and we choose to become a part of a community, what do we use as the basis for deciding where to belong? Do they have music that we like? Do they play the instruments that we like? Does the pastor speak the way we like? Do the people look the way we like? It, are we noticing a trend? I can go on if you want. The color of the carpet is a color that I like. The stained glass windows look the way I like. It's, it's all about what we like. Some people, they'll pull up to the church and they'll see the building and I'm like, ah, eh, that's kind of an old church. Nope, I'm out. They'll pull up to a barn that looks like it's just been thrown up in like a week and they're like, oh yeah, let's worship there. And it's like, okay. But I mean, you don't, no, I'll just leave that there. Um, but we have all of these things that it ultimately is about us. When we have kids, what do we do? We, w- we want to go to the church that has all the things that our kids want. Because we want our kids to get these things and have these certain things. You know, the hardest thing to, um, as a pastor of smaller churches, is you have people who will come and visit and they'll tell me about all these things that they would love for their kids to have. And I'm Right on. I agree 100% with you. I would love to have those things. Are you going to stick around long enough for us to to help us get that? What's the answer? No, I'm going to go down the street where they already have it. And I can drop them off and let you deal with teaching my kids the spiritual things. And um, that's your job, right? Because you're the spiritual people. I'm the parent. They don't want to listen to me anyway. So you do it. So it ends up being about us again. But it's not about us. 
You know, if, if we have unchurched people come, people who, who don't believe in Jesus, it is about them. It's 100% about them. Us showing them who Jesus is. Us loving them regardless of what they look like, smell like, or talk like. It's about us showing them Jesus. It is about them. But you know, as they become a follower of Jesus, which hopefully they will, at some point there has to be a transition that, you know, it's not about me being the priority anymore. Now it's about what can I bring to the community? What part can I play? How can I show that I belong? You see, I think we get a misunderstanding about the, the idea of belonging. I think when we think about belonging, we think about how other people make us fit into the community. We don't think so much about what we bring to the community. You see, because belonging isn't just about what other people do for you. It's about also what you bring to the other people. Otherwise, it's just a social club. We, we belong because it benefits us. I'll never forget um, one time at my previous church, I, I, sitting in the, the very back right section, my right, you guys' left, um, sitting at sweet old lady, love her to death. Um, she hadn't been there for a few weeks, and she forgot her tithe that day. And as I was walking past her from back behind her, I had said hi to her, and she grabbed my arm and stopped me, and she said, I'm so sorry I forgot my dues. I'm like, what? My dues, like, like, what are you paying dues for? What do you, you don't owe me anything. You know, my, my tithe. I'm like, oh my freaking goodness. What in the world? Who taught you that they're dues? You, you don't pay a fee to belong to the church. That's not what it's about. But literally that kind of mindset is what a lot of people have. That we have to pay our way into being a part of the church. That to belong, we have to give the most money to the church. No. It was always meant to be about relationships and what we bring to the community for each other. You see, the breakdown comes when our primary mindset centers around what's in it for me, instead of, who am I here for today? To give you an idea, I want you to listen to a story. Samantha. I also had another friend um, since junior high, and she befriended me. Her name was Stacy, and she was this girl that loved God and loved others. And um, this is a picture of us uh, at our senior prom. This is Stacy right here, and that's me, yes. I look like Harry Potter, and... uh, (laughs) But the great thing about Stacy Bell was uh, she was this girl that just loved God and loved others. And in high school, she didn't, didn't matter what clique you hung out with or, or what you did. She just knew that people needed Jesus. And um, here's a story of uh, Stacy and a guy named Dennis. 
My name is Dennis, and I'm supposed to tell you a story, so I'll go with this one. Um, I was walking down the halls at school one day, and this I dropped my books, you know. And, like, for you, that's probably not a big deal. But for me, you know, dropping my books, it's like a whole production to try and pick them back up. And so I'm standing there, and I'm looking at my books, and I'm trying to use the force, you know, and... <laughs> the force was not with me, you know. And this pretty blonde-haired girl walks up, and she said, hey, my name is Stacy. How about I help you with your books? And I'm like, how about you do that? <laughs> so she picks up my books, and she said, I'll just carry them to your next class. And I'm like, Ugh. So as we're going to class, Stacy's telling me about herself and what she does and all this, and then we get to my class, and she sits my books down, and she looks at me, and she said, hey, I got a great idea. She said, me and some of my friends are going roller skating tomorrow night. How about you join us? And I was like, yeah, I don't do so well on wheels, you know? She said, it's okay. I will help you. I said, okay. So the next day, her mom and her came by and picked me up, and they took me to the roller skating rink. You should have been there. I don't know who was more scared, me or the guy I handed my money to and said, size nine and a half, please. <laughs> Stacy helped me put on my roller skates, and for a little while, I just sat on the side and, and watched everybody skate. But it was so great just to be a part of a group. And then Stacy skated over. And she said, why don't you come out on the skating rink? And I was like, no, no, I'm cool. She goes, no, come on. I was like, no, no. She goes, come on, I will help you. I said, okay. So Stacy helped me out on the skating rink. This leg went that way, and this leg went that way. You should have seen everybody's eyes looking at me. I was like, it's cool. I'm a professional skater, you know? With Stacy's help, I made it around the skating rink twice. It was awesome. After we had finished skating and Stacy's mom was dropping me off at my house, Stacy said, hey, Dennis, I've got another great idea. She goes, tomorrow my family's having a cookout and going swimming. Why don't you join us? And I was like, yeah. You see this body? It don't float, you know? She goes, it's okay. I will help you. I said, okay. So the next day, my mom dropped me off at Stacy's house. It was so great, just feeling the sun on my body. Stacy was swimming, and she said, Dennis, come on in the pool. And I was like, nah, I'm cool. She goes, no, come on. I said, no, no, no. She goes, come on. I will help you. I said, okay. So Stacy helped me down into the pool, and I was in the shallow end, and I was like, wee. <laughs> she goes, no, no, come on in the deeper end. And I said, no. She goes, come on, I will help you. And I was like, okay, help me, you know? And so she did. She held out her arms, and she let me float in the water. It was great. After we finished swimming, we were eating hamburgers and talking, and Stacy was telling me all of her plans. I'll tell you this right now. That girl could change the world if she wanted to. And then all of a sudden, she stopped, and she looked at me. And she said, hey, Dennis, tell me about your dreams. And I said, I don't really have any. 
She goes, come on, everybody has dreams. And I said, no, not me. And she just kept pushing the issue. And so I got frustrated with her. And I looked at her and I said, okay, fine. You want to know my dreams? I'll tell you my dreams. I said, in my dreams, this old leg, it is straight, just like everybody else's. And I said, in my dream, this old hip is right in place, just like everybody else's. And I can run and jump, no problem. And I said, in my dream, these old hands, they are no longer crippled. And if I drop my books, I just bend down and pick up my books, no problem. And I said, in my dream, I don't need these old glasses to see anymore. And in my dream, my mouth is normal, just like everybody else's. And I can go to school and nobody looks at me different. And I get up in the morning, I don't hate who I see. But then I realize it's only a dream. We sat there in silence for quite a while, much like this. And Stacy looked at me, and I'll never forget what she said. She looked me right in the eye, and she said, Dennis, that's the dumbest dream I've ever heard. <laughs> and I was like, well, you sure know how to make a cripple guy feel good. She said, no, Dennis, you don't get it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I said, no, Stacy, you don't get it. I'm a joke. And she said, oh, Dennis, you spend way too much time looking on the outside. You need to realize that God does not look as man looks for. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And she said, Dennis, you've got a great heart. And you know what? She's right. Because of a girl named Stacy, my life is different. Thank you. Over the years of being a Christian, I've come to believe that humanity is the greatest canvas of artistic expression. It's a fancy way of saying you have a paintbrush in your hand. And every single person that you encounter is a canvas. And you, based on your interactions with them, based on how you treat them, based on how you love them, based on what you think about them, you put your mark on that canvas. And that mark doesn't get erased. You know, even though this story, from my understanding, it wasn't true. But it doesn't make it any less real. Think about it. Listen to the words. Humanity is the greatest canvas of artistic expression. And we think that our paint on the canvas matters more than God's. The biggest travesty of the church is that we think it's about us.
If there's anything in, as a church body, of a, as a, any congregation that we need to repent of more than anything, is that we've made it about us. And there's only one thing that happens to a congregation that makes it about us. It dies. It's reality. Because you see, Jesus said that the gates of hell will never overcome the church. Don't mistakenly think that that means just because you call yourself a church that Satan won't win. You see, there's a difference in calling yourself the church and being the church. You see, the church should be the most beautiful canvas in the community. Not because of what it looks like on the outside, but because of who the people are on the inside. And the mark that we have the opportunity to leave on a community. So the question becomes, what is our paintbrush telling on the canvas of Gas City, Indiana? On the school system of Mississinawa, on Madison Grand, on Eastbrook? What story are we telling? You see, my dream is to be a part of a church full of Stacy's and Dennis's. That it's a place where the broken come and can be honest about it because they know and they sense that they will be loved regardless of how broken they feel. I don't need a perfect place to belong to. I'll never find it. We'll never find that perfect place that meets all of our needs and and checks off all of our boxes. Because as long as we seek those things, we will never feel like we're home. And we will always feel like we're lost. Humanity is the greatest canvas of artistic expression. Stand with me. If you'd reach out your hands and just receive this blessing. Jesus, I have a dream today. I have a dream that when people walk down the streets of Gas City and they look down a parking lot alley and they see Renewed Life Church, that they would be reminded of the stories of how we've sought to live as Christians in this community. 
that they would recall the times where we came and we loved people that no one else loved. That we became a community that wasn't just about us, but it was about each other. That when the the people suffered a loss, that we felt the loss with them. That when someone was excited about a job promotion, we were excited with them. When someone needed a hand up, we gave them our hand. God, I pray that you would forgive our sin of being about us. And I may speak the words, God, but I know that I'm just as guilty. God, I pray that we would truly feel called to repent. That we would turn from the things that are about us and that we would turn to what your dreams are for the people around us. That we could paint on their canvas things that lift them up and and bring them to a purpose that you have called them to. God, help us to not just simply be in this community, but help us to be the church of this community. Amen.